We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pleasant good afternoon to everybody out there in Irish Breakdown land. I am Vince D'Addario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. That guy right there is Brian Driscoll, the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And it is an impromptu mailbag day on a Tuesday because we thought, you know what, why not? Let's go after it. Let's well, and you know, we got some things in the works that are taking up my time. You're right. That uh, make masters. it harder for me to plan shows out and do all the research to do and, a show. We were going to do a schedule breakdown, but and I promise you, if things go well with mm-hmm. what I'm working on, it's going to be worth it, and you all are going to be excited. So we figured, you know what? Instead of not canceling the show, which is what right. I first thought about doing, right. you know what? Let's do a mailbag because that we can always do, and we'll let we'll let you all right. We'll let you all do all the show prep. <laughs> and let you all figure out really what you guys questions. want to talk about. There's so, some really good questions in the queue. Yes, and- they, but that's the thing, Vince, too, for me is like I, I, my tendency has been to cancel lately when we're just slammed and, and those sure. things. But I'm like, man, the, the questions have been so great. Mm-hmm. And they've always been good, but they've been so great lately that they spark so much great discussion. Yeah, that I was like, you know what? Let's let's do a mailbag. So no doubt. Uh, we had to finish up some business conversations. That's why we're a little bit late. We apologize. But Vince, I am. I am ready to go. Yes, I am absolutely. ready to go. Yeah, and and I and I will say I apologize for us being a little late today. We had a little prompt to staff meeting, and again, good things in the works. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully, there. we'll find out later tonight. We'll That's find out later. A good tonight. point. That's a good point. It has nothing to do with me winning or losing my baseball game tonight. Yes, fourteen right. to one yesterday. By the 14 way, fourteen to one. So we'll take a victory Vince anyway. Is in a pretty good, good pretty good mood. All right, uh, I'm going to throw this one up there. I'm hoping you can handle uh-huh. this one. Uh, Blaine says, Hey, mailbag day. And first question, Zach Martin says in uh, your best uncle Rico voice, I could throw a baseball the length of the football field. Brian, how far could you throw a football in your heyday? I mean, normally 50 to 55 yards on a good day. Um, 60, you know, like my problem was I have smaller hands. So I, I, I I could throw really hard from like 25 in. But to really get like the length is, you know, when the ball is going to come out of your hand sooner, that's when having smaller hands affected me a little bit. But yeah, probably 50 to 55 on it. And I'm talking like in a game, 
Not like just standing there and practice, like launching a ball with no shoulder pads on. Right. Like a punt um, pass and kick. Yeah. Competition, you know, yeah. Just like, yeah. Yeah. This is a fun one. Zach also asks, who was the best player you coached and who was the real best player you coached? I'm not sure the difference in those. <laughs> but, uh, you think yeah. you're going to lie to them or something? Um, well, the best player I ever coached was a kid. I mean, it's just like takeaway division. I mean, because I coached, you know, one to blade. The best player I ever coached was a kid named Michael Warfield who was a wide receiver at Duquesne, and he was an excellent player. He actually came into the season. He only had like 13 career catches. He was a junior coming into the, the season. The year before I got there, they had a receiver uh, that was a, just a ended up getting invited to the Colt or the Steelers camp, and he was like 6'2", 220, and caught 70 passes for over 1,000 yards, and they had two other kids that came back that caught a lot of passes, uh, Yard and Brantley and, and, Mike, and Randy Velakovich. Yarden was my fast guy. He ran a four four one. I think it was what it was for the Eagles, so they signed him to minicamp as well. But Yarden was my speed guy. Randy was my possession guy, but Michael was our our, was our dude. I mean, he – I'm trying to think. It's off the top of my head. I think he had like 51 catches for like 1,140 yards, 14 touchdowns in 11 games. And uh, we played Monmouth in the the basically the national championship it was like the the, the mid-major national title game. It was a bowl, a bowl – it's like the ECAC class was a bowl game. And we beat them. Michael had a big touchdown in that game. We beat him 13-10. He had like a 50-plus yard touchdown in that game to win us the game. And the receiver on the other team, the best receiver on the other team was Miles Austin, who played for the Cowboys for a while. But Michael was the best player in the field that day. And uh, he actually got an invite with the Bengals, played a little bit in NFL Europe, but he was a tremendous player. The interesting thing about him, when I've talked in the past, Vince, about the kid that I had that 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 just couldn't – wasn't a great practice player because he just couldn't get right. loose, that's Michael. Right. Right. He had he was super tightly wound, like physically super tightly wound, and he just couldn't get loose in practice. I mean, he was good in practice, but like you know, for him it was like okay, focus on the technique and stuff like that, and you know, and, and then uh, and then he would just kind of. But on game day, when the adrenaline was flowing for whatever reason, when he had adrenaline flowing, it would loosen his muscles up, and he was unguardable. And he was like six one and a half, six two, so he had great ball skills and you know, knew how to run routes and was a good blocker. So he was a, a heck of a player. The other, the other, the only other kid that would, if you took in like takeaway division and pure talent, but just best for that level, the other kid that would be in the conversation is um, running back. I coached at Muhlenberg named Matt Bernardo. He was an excellent player. Rush for, he was an all American the year I coached him had like 1300 rushing yards, 20 touchdowns. He also returned kicks. He had a kick return for a touchdown. He caught, I think two or three passes for touchdowns. I mean, he had like three, I think like 300 something yards receiving that year, just a, an excellent, an excellent player. So uh, Matt, Matt was a really good player as well. And, and, uh, and that whole team, that was, I said before, I think that's probably my favorite team to coach. CNU is probably my second favorite team to coach, but that Muhlenberg team in 2000. uh, So 2002 was, was my favorite team to coach. And Matt was our best player. But he was just a blue collar kid, and just—I mean, he never—he never talked. He just—he was real quiet. He just went out and just did his job and played at a great level, and that was just an excellent player. So, first All American I coached. I coached two in seven years, and he was—he was my first one. But uh, you know, if you take level out of it, just kind of like who was the most dominant? I think Mike Matt deserves to be in that conversation with Michael. But just best pure player, it would have to be—it uh, would have to be to be that. So I obviously coach at a different level. I coach high school football. So and I coached two kids that that went pretty far. The first kid, uh, his name's Shaq Van. He was our, our running okay. back, and he he was a dude. Um, you know, obviously we're in Northern Indiana, so you got to obviously take that into account. 
but he had like 425 yards against South Bend St. Joe. I mean, he was just a really, really good player. He ended up going to Eastern Michigan, playing there for five years, I believe. He's the uh, grad assistant on their staff now, uh, so he's staying in the game. And the other one would be Danny Pinner. Um, he was uh, offensive tackle for me uh, when I coached him, and then the varsity coach decided to turn him into a tight end, and now he's playing offensive line in the NFL. So, yeah. um, and I think he's going to start at guard for the Colts this year. So, pretty pretty fired up about Danny. And Danny and Shaq are both also two of the greatest kids that I've ever you know been around. Like they love my kids, and like they they're just really really good kids as well as being really good in the classroom, and then really good football players. So so in, interesting connection here, Vince, as you said, he's at Eastern Michigan. Yes. Right? Yep. So the head coach at Eastern Michigan, Chris Creighton, yes. I coached against him my first year as a coach. Okay. He, was at, he was still at Wabash. And uh, I coached against him when I was at Wittenberg, and we beat them. They were, probably, they were probably the best team we played all year in the regular season. Now, we lost the game that year, but they were better than the team that we lost to. The team we lost to, we literally played the Saturday after 9-11. Yeah, okay. Like they still made us play. Like we had to drive up to Alma, Michigan to play. Thursday, by the way, it was 9 11, I believe. Yeah, it was, it was, like, it was early in the week. It was like Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. But uh, yeah, they, they still made us play. So our kids' just heads were not in that game. And like we had two camera guys not show up. So I ended up having to go up and film the flipping game. It was just a hot mess. And so uh, it was uh, the life of a D3 coach. But I mean, I they, they, weren't, they weren't better than us. Our kids just weren't. Our kids yeah. weren't in it. But Wabash was the best team we played in the regular season that year. Now, the best team we played all year was Mount Union because right? we played them in the third round of the playoffs. But, yeah, so Chris Creighton, the head, the head coach at Eastern Michigan. There, I have, you were pretty Jack. I'm 1-0 uh, against him. There you so. go. There you go. He seems like a good guy as far as I know. I don't He's know He's a really him good personally. coach. I mean, like that, that team was – we had way better players than them. Yeah. But it was a close game because they were really well coached. So I'm not surprised at all that he made it up to the Division One level. I'm when not he's, shocked at all. He seems to be very comfortable yeah. at that level, at the MAC level. Like that seems to be yeah. kind of his wheelhouse. Well, I think but, he likes the, the real coaching aspects of it. Right. I, I think, you know, so I, I think that. he enjoys the, you know, the, the relationships. And that's a lot. You get that a lot from D3 coaches, the, the traditional D3 coaches, you know, not the guys that are just using D3 as a stepping stone and they don't right. care. I think the guys that valued being part of that level because there's so much more in it than just winning and losing games. I mean, you're you're dealing with young people who are playing to pay football. They're not being played. They're paid to play football. Right. They are paying to yeah. play football. Right. And so, you know, the it's development of young men is very important at yeah, that level. And, and from what I've been told, he's continued that at well, at Eastern Michigan. They do and a so, really cool thing where they cl- literally climb a mountain every yeah. offseason. And, like, that's – I mean, was he the one that started that whole tearing down that brick thing? I hope that wasn't him. I hope that was before he got there because that was super lame. It made a bit. I think yeah. it was him. Yeah, that was super lame. <laughs> I think that was that him. Was super lame. But the climbing the mountain thing, I thought was really really cool. Like yeah. it takes a few days to like climb up there and they mm-hmm. camp out and do the whole thing and like it's uh it's a really big deal. So that's pretty cool. But uh, anyway, yeah, Shaq and Danny for me for sure, really good kids. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My wife is the coffee drinker in our house. So when I told her about trying out trade coffee, she was curious. When I told her that if she answered the survey trade sent me, they could match her with brands she would like, she was downright skeptical. We ended up getting three different shipments from three regional coffee makers. And let me tell you, she was blown away. My coffee snob wife loved each and every new blend that she got. As a non-coffee drinker myself, I must admit, opening up the cabinet and getting a whiff of her most recent blend was aromatically pleasing. Trade sells the freshest roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you and as often as you like, whole or ground. Whether you're a coffee connoisseur like my wife or just want a better daily cup, Trade's real coffee experts taste test over 400 roasts and use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. Take the coffee quiz to get started. Trade Coffee guarantees you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. And for Irish Breakdown listeners, right now Trade Coffee is offering up to $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and start your journey to perfect cup. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $20 off your first three bags. Andy Mack wants to know if Chad Bowden long-term goal is to continue leading the recruiting department or would he like to become a coach eventually? Thanks for the content. Makes the second half of work fly by. I would imagine that Chad is doing what he loves to do. Now, would he like to kind of, you know, maybe become a GM or something down the road? Maybe. I don't know. But he's not a coach. Like, I mean, meaning like that's not his background. I mean, if you don't know, his dad is Jim Bowden, who was the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. He's the guy who made the trade for for the uh, Ken Griffey Jr. So his dad always has a special place in my heart because that was my favorite player. And he (laughs) traded to my favorite team uh, back when the Reds actually tried to make moves to win. But Mm. uh, they had a no hitter. Yeah, and lost. Um, (laughs) But uh my imagine my guess would be he'd want to do something along those lines, but I think he likes what he's doing. I think he likes the recruiting aspect of it, the team building aspect of it. I mean, and it's a very important role if you use it right. And Marcus Freeman's using it right. Yeah. And you know, it just it was an incredibly wise move for Marcus Freeman to get Chad Bowden here, you know, to in the first place to get him here at Notre Dame, which he did when he was coming as an assistant. And obviously that was a big part of what they're doing. So uh yeah, I, I don't know what his ultimate goals are as far as like getting to the top of whatever he views his profession to be. But I think it's always going to be about talent acquisition. Yeah. It would be my guess, you know? So, I mean, could he maybe move on to an NFL team or something? Perhaps, I, I guess that's hundred percent pure speculation on my part. I just, whatever he's going to do, I think it's going to be talent acquisition, but you know, from all indications, he's loves what he's doing right now, working for coach Freeman and doing a great job in Notre Dame. So 
But yeah. if they continue to pile up top three classes year after year, he's going to become a hot commodity. And in that regard, just like, you know, coaches are when they do a great job coaching. Mm-hmm. Kamikaze fullback question for fun. How good do you think Tyler Buckner would be if they put him back to return punts and kicks this year? What Notre Dame quarterback have you watched that would be a dynamic return man? I, I want no part of that action. Well, the last part Tyler Buckner. Right. Huh? I, I think the last one's Tony Rice, right? Oh, no, I'd, I'd throw Arnez Battle and Carlo Holiday into Ooh. that conversation. Like, okay. I mean, because Carlo ended up playing it in receiver in the NFL. Right. And Arnez Battle ended up playing receiver in the NFL, too. I mean, they were quarterbacks in their name. So I'd have to go back to those guys. I, yeah, I, I would say that those guys would probably. Now, I don't know if Malik was really athletic, but Malik wasn't super fast. So I don't know if Malik would have would have been that. Uh, but I mean, goodness, Arnez Battle, Carlo Holiday, I have to think would would be would be really good for good choices for me. I I don't even did I? I wonder if Arnez even returned kicks at Notre Dame because remember he started the season a quarterback before he got hurt, right, right. and uh, the year that Matt Lavecchio took over at quarterback, Car- Arnez started that year at quarterback before he got hurt and then obviously he came back the next year and they moved him to receiver. But those would be my two, my two bets. It'd be my two guesses. I'm trying to think like Deshaun Kaiser, Everett Colson. No. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't think of who else would, would it be other than those guys. And then obviously, like you said, Tony Rice would obviously be in that conversation. Return punts and return kicks. Those are two completely different return, you know, profiles, mm-hmm. right? It, punts you almost have to be a little bit twitchy because you really got to make that first man miss mm-hmm. kicks it's more straight line speed and right. and bursting through it so i mean it it's a different profile for sure i, mm-hmm. I mean, from a tyler buckner standpoint <clears throat> just to play with his game here a little bit i don't see him as like a twitchy punt return kind of guy i don't i don't see that out of tyler buckner's game if i had to pick between the two i would say he'd be a better kick return guy I wouldn't do either one, but you know that would be my choice. I think he is a little twitchy. I, if you're going to force him back there, I, I think he'd be okay. Because the other thing Tyler has too is Tyler's got really strong lower body. Like he he's a thick kid. He, he can kind of do that exactly. But I want no part of that action. I don't want any part, no of, part of, that of that action at all. As a matter of fact, I think I'm, I just got a call. Hold on a second. I just got a text. That's Marcus Freeman saying he wants me to ban. And Tommy Reese texted me the same thing. He wants me to ban whoever brought up putting Tyler back. I obviously am joking. I did not get a text from Tommy Reese and Marcus Freeman. But um, yeah, ban whoever brought up possibly putting Tyler Buckner back there returning kicks. I'm just kidding, Kamikaze. Speaking of Kamikaze. Yeah, right. Uh, Zach has another question. He says, put together your own dream coaching staff from any level. You are the head coach. That's tough. Yeah, that's super tough. I mean, I mean, any level, I, I don't know enough about the best NFL coaches to know that. To be honest with you, I mean, yeah. I, I'll say this, Zach. I'm kind of happy with the staff that Notre Dame has right now. I mean, it's doing a pretty good job. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I will say this in all seriousness. I, I know for a fact there'd be if I could if I scour all levels of football. There's one guy for sure, two guys for sure that I would still have at Notre Dame, and that's the head coach and the offensive line coach, for sure. Uh, I But there's a lot of other guys I'd probably consider keeping. I mean, you know, Tommy Reese. I mean, we'll see what he does, but I'm, I'm encouraged by what he's doing. I, I mean, how would I not have Al Washington on staff with the job he's doing right now on the recruiting trail? You know what I mean? Like, 
Um, you know, Al Golden, I, you know, it's a great fit. I mean, there's just there's a lot of potential with this staff. And so I want to see the staff play out. But uh, I'd have to think about that one, Zach. That might be a fun one. to. I know, Zach, you remember the message board. Questions like that that require me to, like, draw through all 130 teams yeah. across football in the NFL yeah. are great message board questions because then it gives me time to think about it and research. But I got a great high for together, but you guys would yeah. know none of those people. So yeah. it wouldn't really work out. Yeah. Yeah. I better get I'm at least get an offer, an OC offer. I'll turn it down, but I better at least get it. We'll be, we'll have a problem. Right. So <laughs> we've already had that conversation. <laughs> we have actually. Yes. Okay. Uh, Shane O'Shea says with BK gone, do you see re-simplifying the offense at all? So young receivers can get on the field earlier. That's a great question, Shane. Great question, because I think he won't simplify it schematically, but I think he'll simplify it from a teaching standpoint. And there's the, that that's the problem. The problem when I mean simplify is like I don't think you're going to see like, OK, this receiver has four or five different route options in this play. I think but they're going to ask the receivers to do a lot of different things. It's just when we make a call, this is basically what you're doing. I think there's going to be some simplification from that, or at least there needs to be. I'm hopeful that there is. I've heard good things about the receivers aren't having the same issues. I'm not hearing the same complaints I had in the past about how challenging it is and difficult it is and all that kind of stuff. So my hope is that that continues. But I think you can simplify your teaching without necessarily simplifying your scheme. And and I think that that's a different thing, Vince. I mean, it's like, Number one, having a diverse scheme, but where your route pack, your routes carry over to different concepts, you know, that's, that's a different thing. And, you know, you, and then you've got, you know, you got 12 to 13 different route options or 14, 15 different route options that you can then kind of mix and match into the kind of different concepts you want to have with them. You know, I think add some ability to be more diverse while also simplistic enough to not be overwhelming kids and still being able to teach them the proper technique. Well, that's that's the key too, though, Brian, I I think they're being taught better right now well, I, I just right. I just feel like they're being prepared at a higher level so that they're going to be able to perform at a higher level, both mentally and physically when they get on the field. I don't, I don't think like it felt like in the past there was just this barrier that these guys weren't going to get past. And I think that was partly due to the scheme. And I think it was partly due to the coaching. And I, and I think there's going to be a difference in both where they're going to meet in the middle where these guys can be successful at a young age. That's the best way I can come up. I, that's the best way I know how to d- explain how both. I think it has to come from both sides. It has to come from the coaching aspect at the at the position level, but it also has to come from a schematic level, like you were talking about. Guinea Pig Clips says, "Could you see Marist getting drafted this year?" I think that's kind well, of a loaded. I mean, could I, he be drafted? I, I would day? say absolutely yeah. because if he declares, it means he had a monster year and he would get drafted now how high that's a different question but i think he definitely would get drafted could i see it yes do i predict it or anticipate it no i don't i think he'll he'll probably be here for two more years but if he comes out this year has 115 tackles and 12 tackles for loss and four sacks and a couple picks and he's part of a great defense no him goes to the playoff yeah okay you know guy that had a major injury last year he may say you know what I don't want to take a chance of that happening again i'm going pro because i'm getting feedback that i'm going to be a day two pick or whatever the case may be and you know, then he would leave. I, I don't see Maris leaving without getting some kind of feedback that he's going to be a relatively highly drafted player. And, you know, but again, I would have, you know, Kevin Austin had the same situation and he made the decision to leave. So nowadays you just, you just never know. This is an interesting one from Sean Kane. He says, which would have a better chance of being a playoff team, the Notre Dame team that loses to Ohio state and then finishes 11 and one 
or a team that beats Ohio State and slips up against, say, BYU and finishes 11 and 1. I think the team that beat Ohio State would be the one there, Vince, because you'd have a much better resume. So I I think that they have the better percentages of making it, but I will also say that I think both of these teams make it. I don't don't see much of a scenario, unless you're talking about four undefeated teams ahead of them, that the 11-1 team that loses to BYU doesn't get in. But obviously I think you lose earlier, and if it's a competitive game and you win the rest, you're in. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I think the only exception for me would be if it's a situation where the teams they play ended up not being as good. Sure. Uh, if they get in a situation where, like, let's say Clemson's a four-loss team, USC still sucks, and they get beat by Ohio State by 20. Right. You know, right. kind of like last year. If it's a similar situation to last year where they end up not beating really any ranked teams and they get blown out, sure. you know, I could see it. But even then, Notre Dame still almost made the playoff this year at 11-1 and with all that happening, you know. And uh, so I, I think both would make it. But as far as better chance, I mean, look, if you have a win, a road win over Ohio State, Ohio State at worst this year is going to be 10-2 at worst. You know what I mean? And, you know, I'd say but I kind of feel like if they lose Notre Dame in the opener, they're going to – I feel terrible for the next 11 teams they play. Yeah. But I'm serious. Like, I, I'd i feel really bad for those next 11 teams because, like, now Ohio State's going to be pissed off all year. And and they're in a situation where they they, they can't afford to lose again. Right. So there's not going to be any overlooking anybody. So, yes, I, I remember it's like when, when Ohio State got pounded by Michigan and, or Iowa in 2017. I don't know if I told if I said it to you. I might have said, I said it to a couple of buddies. I was like, man, I feel terrible. First thing I did after I saw that was look at the schedule and so who they play next week. And I said, man, I feel terrible for the team they play right. next week. And it was Michigan State. And Michigan, if you remember that year, Michigan State was a 10 win team. And Ohio State went out the next week and just absolutely mm-hmm. obliterated them. I mean, it was embarrassing. It was forty-eight to three. That was a ten-win team, and yeah. that team was just kind of pissed off the rest of the year, you know. And and uh, you know, I feel like if Notre Dame goes and beats them at their place, they'd just be pissed off the rest of the year right. and would be really, really tough. So, right. And they're going to have some games on their schedule that are going to allow them to get right. They're going to have a lot of get-right games next year. So they're they would be uh, they would not be a fun team to play if Notre Dame beats them in the opener, which is going to happen, but. All right, Sean Ziegler says, Marcus Freeman's Twitter bio has him labeled as Dick Corbett head football coach. What does that mean? That means that Corbett is a very rich man, and he gave a lot of money to the University of Notre Dame and said, I want my money to go directly to the head football coach to help pay for his salary, and I want my name attached to the title. And there are multiple positions on the football team, I do believe, that are endowed. That's what that's called. They're endowed by... Uh, boosters and Dick Corbett is one. I think there's one for the defensive coordinator. Former players as well, like Pat Eilers, uh, yeah, gave money to for the right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but oh. you know that's meant to. It's also meant to. It's not just like it's like a lot of money to have your name on it, but it's also it's money that goes to the football program. Right. It's a right. way to get your money directly to the football right. program. Yeah. Whereas in a lot of other instances, and and I again, I'm again, I'm being real loose with this because I know there's all different situations and. If my my buddy in development is listening, you can always correct me. But um, there are there it, it it's not easy to just give them money and say this is going to this unless it's for a project unless you're raising money for the crossroads project, right? Right. But uh, this is a way to make sure that that money goes directly to the football right. program because you're you're basically what they're doing. And this is why I say when Notre Dame says they paid Brian Kelly million dollars, that's what they were paying. 
Dick Corbett was paying part of his salary too. Under Armour was paying part of his salary. NBC was paying part of his salary. Brian Kelly was making a lot more than a million dollars. Oh yes, you know, and and so that's what that that's what that means. And so yeah. I'm pretty know, sure the women's basketball coach, I think Neil right. Ivy had one, and like there, there's Gray as well. But like you just saw Coach Freeman posing with with Mr. Corbett recently in a, yes. in, a in, in Twitter. It's the one I sent to you. Is like, why is he posing with Brian Kelly? Because Dick Corbett looked a little bit like Brian Kelly. Um, but uh, like, wait, what? Yeah, and then I, I <laughs> and then I sent you the tweet, and you're like, "Man, you <laughs> so, stink." Yeah, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it, it it's it's not like it, people say, "Oh, you're just an ego, you're an well, Okay, maybe, but if I was that successful, I might have a little bit of an ego too. But it's also, again, I want to make sure we're clear. It's also a way to directly make sure that you're giving money right. to the football program right. to make that money. Make sure that Notre Dame could afford to to hire a Marcus Freeman and keep Brian Kelly here all those years and be competitive for those things where in the past they couldn't be competitive enough in head coaching salary. So, you know, what Dick Corbett has done, whether you think his name should be on there or not is make sure that Notre Dame can be very competitive when it comes to paying a coach's salary. And so, yes, yeah, I think it's a a great idea, frankly, it's just an easy way to money where it needs to go, you know, and there's a lot of projects under that are going on right now that they're Mm -hmm. trying to raise money for. So, yeah, Zach Martin says, who is your biggest miss for a projection? I projected Derek Barton to Mark Grace on a report. Zach Martin, is he a baseball guy? Apparently. Uh, my biggest miss for projection is, I will always say this, it's Josh Barajas. I mean, I thought Josh Barajas was going to be a stud. And he couldn't even play at the FCS level. Now, there he are reasons why he struggled. Back, right? He had some personal issues and that led him to not being in the greatest shape and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I thought Josh Bross was going to be, when he they was, flipped him from Penn state, I was like, he was the linebacker from Andrean, the same yes. school that Owen goes to, yes. which is about an hour West of here. Yeah. I remember him. Yeah. yeah he was a good tight end, really good edge rusher. I was like, man, this kid's going to be really good. Yeah. And, and he, he went to the army, he went to the army all American game and looked really good down there. And, you know, they had to flip him from Penn state. And I mean, I just, I thought he's gonna be really good. And he just, uh, Never for a out for a, but I mean, even then, like when I saw him as a freshman, I was like, yeah, this, not this happening. isn't the guy that I thought he was going to be. And, <laughs> you know, I don't know if the issue had already started by then or not, but, uh, he, uh, that's a, was a really big miss. That's unfortunate. Me. Yeah, it is. Any big clips. What are our chances with Micah Bell? Good. I mean, I think, look, he's going to visit. He already likes Notre Dame a lot already, which, surprises me i mean it's just the amount of interest that and rod baber said this when we had him on the show to interview him he's like yeah the kids will be interested in notre dame and he was right i mean there's a there's a lot of kids in texas right now that have a very high interest of notre in notre dame at this point in time so uh, and micah bell's one of them he is scheduled to visit the weekend of june 17th to the 19th so he'll be in town that that weekend with samuel and pemba and some other big time players and uh it's going to be their chance to impress them. But yeah, I think he, I won't, I don't think he's in the same boat that Braden, Braylon James was where Braylon basically came to commit on okay. his first visit. I don't, I don't see that being the case, like as going in now, could it happen? Sure. But I do know he likes Notre Dame a lot. And I think they're definitely one of his top two or three schools for sure. No question. And he's a big one. Cause that kid, he's at a corner, a position of need cornerback, but he, 10 he's got multiple 10 fours on his docket this spring in the 100 meter dash so yeah that he can run you're gonna have to uh tell me what website that is that you look at 
for for the track. Yeah, number. you just type in your kid's name and, and track, and it'll pop up. Oh, okay, yep. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Shane O'Shea, what uh, what are the D line recruiting numbers for 2024? Assuming that they get more in this class, that means they would have five in this class. So, what does that mean moving forward? I would say four, but again, it, a lot of this is going to depend, Shane, on what happens with the current roster. Is there some depletions from the current roster that allow them to go to five again? Potentially, you know, we'll see if some guys get beat out by younger players. But as of right now, I think the number's four. I think they'd like to get another edge guy and they'd like to get another interior guy. But I think what you're going to see them do is do the exact same thing they did this year that they did last year or next year that they did this year, which is Al Washington and Chad Bowden and, you know, Al Golden are going to pound on the table saying, we need five, we need five, we need five until they give in and let them get five. And you can do that. You're going to look, you're going to, if you're making your case for a fifth and your fifth is Jason Moore, you're going to get your way. Right. When you're making a case for a fifth and your fifth is Elijah rushing or Nigel Smith or Jay Sean Ross or, you know, Justin Scott or a guy like that, then they'll let you get your fifth. But you're also going to be smart about the first ones you bring in. Sure. You know, it's got to be like, Hey, look, you, then you shouldn't take a chance on these two project kids. Right. right. I mean, you know, but right. Notre Dame's not doing that. I mean, no one, Wafel's not a project. You know what I mean? Brandon Davis Swain is not a project. They're very good football players, especially yeah. Brandon Davis Swain's a top hundred kid. Wayful's you know? dad made his son look small. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, and apparently the stupid or not. I'm sorry, that was mean. The uh, guy doing the interview yesterday was obsessed with that and saying other dumb things. But I'm sorry, that was one of the worst. I well, I know. heard. I, I I watched and and that was just not good like you're gonna sit there and argue with a kid who just said the team he committed to is gonna win a championship and you're gonna sit there and argue with him basically is what he was doing i think your friends behind you might you know disagree with you shut up dude oh yeah. so i wanted to so annoyed a terrible so annoyed that's a dude that does not follow college football has no clue who he's interviewing and was just handed this assignment like the interviewing day of. not difficult get no. five minutes of prep you could have done a better interview than that so i'll just say that Guinea Pig says, what's the latest with Micah Tease? Hey, hey Vince, let's push this one back to Ryan. So, Because uh, Ryan Ryan will have a better sense of where that is. That works. So no, That uh, works. Yeah. TB12 for Heisman. I've heard vague comments referring to something happening in the lead up to the 2019 Michigan game. What really happened? What really happened is Brian Kelly didn't get his team ready. And so when they failed miserably like they did in every other big game, he had to blame somebody for it. And Chip Long became the fall guy. And I and I said this to him at the time. I said, watch your back because you're going to be the guy that gets blamed for this. I remember that, actually. Yeah. I remember you having that conversation in the beginning of the season, and then it came to fruition. Yep. yep. I, I yep. remember that really, really well. Yep. So, uh, but, yeah, it was – it was. look, I, I remember talking – like, the, the, you know, it, it's same BS with, like, Phil Dracovic, you know, trying to throw him under the bus and yep. – you know, all the other stuff that Brian Kelly's done, blaming everybody else for why he didn't have his team ready to play. All I know is, is I talked to, a, uh, you know, somebody in the press box before the game, former NFL player, and he said, they don't want to be here. It's before the game. They don't want to be here. And if something happened during the week and you couldn't get your team past it, you're not a very good head coach. Exactly. Simple as that. Yeah. And you should have dealt with that when it happened during the week. But no, it was there was nothing like that. It was simply put the head coach did not get his team ready to play. They didn't prepare to play in the rain. I mean, that's just that, that I was told that leading up Vince, you and I talked about this before the game. I was like, dude, I don't know if they're ready for the rain. They didn't practice like a team, and we knew rain was coming all week. Yes. 
I mean, it's obvious it was going to rain all weekend. And they didn't prepare. That's a head coach's problem, not not anybody else's problem. Such an easy thing to – I mean, yeah, to, to look at the weather report. Yep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yep. Okay. Uh, Tommy Guns, uh, I, obviously he's on the message board, and he saw your post about the 93 team. He says, top five all-time must-watch Notre Dame games that are actually watchable. Well, I would have mean that you that they're on YouTube or something. Uh, the only ones that I know of for a fact that are on there that I think are great games. I don't even know if I can get to five, so I'll give you the best I can. Obviously, eighty-eight Miami's on on YouTube, ninety-three Florida State's on YouTube. Uh, so I know this for a fact: the seventy-three bowl game against Alabama, that is Lou Samoji's favorite game, is on YouTube because Lou used to show it to me all the time. Uh, which I say that with endearment because it was just like to see him get excited about something like that was just phenomenal. I mean, and then the 88 West Virginia game was obviously one that I loved, especially Tommy, you're a younger guy. So, you know, you weren't alive for that. Vince barely remembers that. So I would say that is a big one. I mean, there's a couple games from 88 that were big. The Miami game, the USC game, that was one versus two. So I think that's those are ones just off the top of my head, but there's a there's a lot. And I'm actually so what I did the other day, Tommy, what I did last night was I I kind of yeah, I've been watching film of past seasons and just you know, like keeping fresh and stuff. And I was watching some 93 films. So what I did was I just went and found every 93 game that I could find a video of and put it into one message board post. I think I'm gonna keep doing that. I think I'm just gonna like some seasons that I remember and or some games I remember and just kind of throw them on there as after I watch them. Yeah, and uh, I think there'll be a lot of fun. So we'll we'll do some more of that. But you know, I think there's some there. You know, if you can find the Cotton Bowl where Notre Dame it was it seventy, it's a seventy seven season. I always get this confused. So I think it was a seventy seven season when they beat Texas. They were number five, and they beat number one Texas in the Cotton Bowl like thirty eight ten, which vaulted them up to number one for the championship. Which is another reason why I would love to see them go to the bowls, determining who is in the playoff. Because again, something like that. Number five Notre Dame wouldn't have had a chance to jump up to number one and win a title if it wasn't for that. Exactly. You know, if there, if there was a playoff back then, I should right. say. So uh, that's another reason I would love to see that. But yeah, those are just some early games that I look at. Kamikaze says, "Could this be a year with no truly dominant team to compete for a national championship?" Like you've said about 2017, I think. Big three: Clemson questions on offense, Ohio State on defense, and Bama thinks they're the Yankees. You left a team off of there. It's the defending national champions. Uh, Georgia, you know, Bulldogs. Georgia. Look, I, I think I think that Ohio State's going to be very, very talented. Clemson's down. I mean, you have to throw Georgia in that conversation. I'm sorry. They're the defending champions, so they deserve to be on there. And, yes, they lost 15 guys to the draft, but some of those guys didn't start. And they've had the number one or two recruiting class in the country, one, two, or three recruiting class in the country for like five years in a row. So they're still going to be very talented. And they they got some transfers. So I would say those four are in it. I, I don't think this will. I don't think this year will be like last year. I think last year, Vince, last year was wide open. Yeah, and I thought last year was very, very wide open. I didn't think there was any. I think that, like I've said this, that Georgia team that won the title last year, I feel would get smacked by the 2017 Georgia team. I, I just do. I, I look. They had everybody talks about all oh, the talent, the defense. Yeah, but they had a very mediocre offense, in my opinion. And and even their defense had holes. It just as what did I say going into the year? The SEC was down last year. I said that going into the year. The SEC is going to be down. I think that made their defense look even better than it was. 
and it was still very, very good defense. But, you know, I heard somebody say the other day, oh, it's better than a 2018 Clemson defense. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather face this year's Georgia defense than that Clemson defense. I mean, again, let's not forget what Bama did to that defense. That was the only good team Bama Georgia played all year was Bama in the SEC title game, and they got shredded by Bama in that game. So I just, uh, you know, I mean, again, uh, look, let's look at their schedule last year. It was, it was, they played Clemson in the opener. Clemson ended up not being that good. G- Clemson, Georgia scored three offensive points in that game. Remember, they had a touchdown, a defensive touchdown. It won ten to three. They played UAB, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, decent, Auburn, Kentucky, Florida, who sucked, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. That was their regular season schedule. Wow. Then they played Alabama in the in the in the, in the uh, SEC title game and lost forty one to twenty four. Right, and that defense got worked. And you know, so I just five hundred thirty six yards, seven point seven yards per play. They got worked in that game. So heck, even Michigan had five point two yards per play in that game, and they their offense stunk. So yeah, I. They were a great run defense. I'll say they were a great run defense last year. I just don't think they were a great overall defense compared to some past teams. I think their secondary is very vulnerable against the pass, as Alabama showed us. But it's like, who on that schedule was going to make them pay for that? Okay. I mean, Hendon Hooker actually threw for some yards against them. And the thing about that game is they were missing like three of their top four receivers in that game were hurt. Yeah. Who else? I mean, Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones going to throw on you? Will Levis is going to throw on you. You know what I mean? Like, you know, just whatever. And then those that powerhouse Charleston Southern team they played late. Georgia Tech is garbage. You know, they beat Georgia Tech by the same score Notre Dame did. So I, I just – I don't think last year's Georgia team was great. It was a very good team, and they, they earned the title, right, whatever. But they were not a great team. I, would, I mean, they would have got punished by 2019 LSU. I think they got smacked by 28 clumps, and I think they got smacked by their own 2017 team. Ryan Roberts just texted me. He said, that's future first-round pick Will Levis to you. Uh, <laughs> so because There's all these people projecting to be a first-round pick, which I told him the other day. I'm getting serious Connor Cook, Cardell Jones, you know, Christian Hackenberg vibes from all the mock drafts I'm seeing this year with like Anthony Richardson and Will Levis and, and Tyler Van Dyke. It's like, you remember that year after I was like, it was after 2014? And everybody had like Connor Cook going to the first round, like top five, and Cardell Jones going to the top ten, and Christian Hackenberg going to the top ten. And I'm like, none of these guys are going to be top picks. I think Hackenberg was the highest at two, and he ended up being terrible. And then the other guys were fourth round picks. I don't, neither one of them's even in the NFL. None of those three are even in the NFL right now, which is says a whole lot. Yeah, says a whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. If Tom uh, Jordan says if Tommy Reese left for the NFL after this year because of a massive Irish success, would you like to hire Brian Hartline as offensive coordinator, even if he has no play calling experience? I don't know enough about Brian Hartline to say the yes or no to that. Like, look, I, I know that Brian Hartline's a great reputation as a receivers coach and all that, and it's well earned. I mean, the job they've done recruiting wise and developing is phenomenal. But I don't know enough about Brian Hartline. He may not he may not be able to call a, a play at all. I have no clue. His lack of experience doesn't bother me. Vince, you know my stance on that. If you got the chops, you got the chops. But, you know, for me, it's it's more of a, you know, I just, 
I don't know if he does have the chops. I don't know enough about him, you know? So if, if he were to get hired, I'd do my research on him to find out, but I just, I'm not saying no, I'm not saying yes. I just don't know enough about him in that part of the job. If it was just to come coach receivers, let's yep. say Chancey Stuckey left to go back to Clemson or something. I'd heck yeah, man, make him pass game coordinator. If you got to get him here, I, that's a no brainer. But offensive coordinator, I just don't have enough knowledge to be able to answer that question. And hopefully you'll 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 understand that, Jordan. I just it's just not been something that's on my radar yet. Uh, it's you know one of the things I was going to do this summer was kind of put together a, a list of potential candidates for the two coordinator jobs and the D line job because I look at those three as kind of the you know the guys that have the best chances to kind of move on and you know for other jobs in the next few years. Kind of like I would have like with Brian Kelly. You know, you yeah. have like your your short list of head coaches. List. But I'm just not at a point yet where I know where I've done be able to do enough homework to be able to, on Brian Hartline to know if he could or couldn't do the job. So my answer is um, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't know if I'd like to hire or not. I, I don't. Very interested to see what you have to say to this one. Caleb Collins says if Notre Dame wins a championship within the next two years, how much credit would you give Brian Kelly? The, uh, Caleb says five percent. I'd give him 25% because he hired oh. Marcus Freeman. Look, okay. here's the thing. What I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do revisionist history where I'm not going to give Brian Kelly credit for things now that I gave him credit for at the time. No, and I know no. you would. I No, I, I know you know. I'm just making oh. a point. Like, I praise Brian Kelly for making that hire. And we also talked about that this was not a hire that was forced upon him by somebody else. This wasn't a hire that Jack Swarbrick made like he did with Mike Elko and Chip Long. I've said this before. Brian Kelly didn't hire them. Brian Kelly was trying to get out of Notre Dame after 2016. Jack Swarbrick and Chad Clunder drove those hires. So I give him I give him very little credit for those hires. Bob Diaco is the reason Matt Bayless came here. I give Brian Kelly no credit for those. Brian Kelly is very involved in getting Marcus Freeman here. Now, I don't think he handled Marcus being here very well. I think there's some jealousy involved. I think there was some, some immaturity involved on his part because he just didn't like the fact that anyone else but him got shine. That's how Brian Kelly is. But – I'm not going to – I mean, he 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 is the one that went for and pushed for Mark Freeman. Now, was Jack Swarbrick involved? Yes, because when you're going toe-to-toe with an SEC team, you need to make sure the AD is right there with you. So I'm going to give Brian Kelly a lot of credit in that regard for bringing in Marcus Freeman. But that's it. That's where his credit ends because he held the program back. He's He would never have put together a staff like the one Notre Dame has now. Because if Brian Kelly's still here, there'd be no Harry Heastan. There'd be no Al Washington. Right. You know, Marcus Freeman would be out. He'd be gone because that's the other thing is if Kelly stayed, Marcus Freeman's out most likely after this year. He's a head coach somewhere else. So but I will give him 25, 20, 25 percent for the fact that he did hire Marcus Freeman. He deserves a lot of credit for for the foresight to see that Marcus Freeman is going to be a great coach because Brian Kelly. Look, Brian Kelly made a lot of dumb moves in his career, but for the most part, he did. Now, again, the Mike Elko thing wasn't his, but it was his decision to promote Clark Lee to defensive coordinator. And that worked out really well. It was his decision to hire Bob Diaco, which I thought Bob Diaco did a very good job at Notre Dame, a very underrated coach, underappreciated coach at Notre Dame. And he was the one that pushed for Marcus Freeman. So that is one position where he he did a good job with one glaring exception, and that is, you know, Brian Van Gorder. But for the most part, I, I thought he did a really nice job. I, I was going to say 20%. So you went a little bit yeah. even higher than I did. Because I, I, I 2025. I, I mean, look, you know. I feel the same way. He, look, he, he still got Notre Dame to a perennially 10-win team, which they weren't yeah, when but, he took 
I, I still don't give him a lot of credit for that, as I've said before. I mean, Jack Swarbrick lightening the schedule, and right. I don't even know if I'd give him that. Twenty percent. You're not even graduating high school. I mean, he's like, gone half the year. I, I'm, 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 I'm just not giving him that much right. based on that. All my percentage is built entirely on he hired Marcus Freeman. Okay, that's that fine. That's fine. That is it. All right, I'm bringing in Ryan Roberts for this next question. What's up, Ryan? Vince, can you? Do you have a couple more minutes? Okay, because I got to get this article ready for oh, this. Gotcha. I got to jump out, just get this article right. done. So you two handle it, and then I'll come cover for you. So and Tavis, then get him the Mike Tease one too before you okay, get out too. I got, two, I got two of them start for him. Okay, Tavis McKay says over under five commitments to Notre Dame before July seventh uh, to give time for the planned July fourth announcements. It's a good one. It's a good one. Um, f- five commitments. All right, so. Tavis, we need to set this at like a, a half, right? Like it needs to be five and a half or four and a half to make it a little easier. I'll set it at four and a half. Okay, we'll set it at four and a half. I will go. I'll go over four and a half. If it Ooh. was five and a half, I'm five seems like a good number to me. It just seems like a yeah. good number. I mean, Notre Dame feels good about where they are with Jaden Lamar. And he's going to announce the end of the month. They have. Um, the July 4th is when Rodney Gallagher is going to announce Notre Dame is in the running for that one. Rico Flores is July 3rd. There is a I mean, you would hope at that point you'd have some clarity, maybe about a Dante Moore, maybe a Jason Moore. There's a few guys that I think are going to come off the board, whether it is Notre Dame or not, we is to be determined, but I'll say over four and a half. I think that's nice. a safe one. Because you named five guys, and then if a couple other guys pop, man, you, we could be looking at a pretty healthy amount of time between now and then. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it might it might even be more than that. I might be underselling it, but we'll, we'll go over four and a half for now. We'll, we'll I, stick I, there. I this feeling, and, and obviously you and Brian cover this stuff way more closely than I do, but once we hit summer, I just feel, and especially with those big recruiting visits coming up those first couple of weeks of June, I, I just feel like it, you know, uh, the the dam is going to break a little bit when it comes to recruiting. Now they've already got what thirteen guys in the class, so I mean that, yep. that and a few in the twenty four class. So I mean they've been they've been coming. There, there's no question, but I just feel mm-hmm. like there's going to be kind of an avalanche here coming up in the summer. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I, I don't. I don't think Notre Dame is going to have too many guys that are going to be late committers, like near the signing day. Like I don't see them. I don't see m- many of the guys that I've talked to that are the top targets on the board. Like they want to kind of figure everything out by their senior year for the most part. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of guys trickling in late. I feel like we're going to have kind of clarity about the class pretty early. Makes sense. All right, we got a couple of recruiting questions here that we saved for just for you. Guinea Pig says, what's the latest with Micah Tease, and could he play wide receiver? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a tremendous update on Micah. I mean, I've, I've been basically talking to some people close to him to find an understanding of if he is planning on getting back to campus sometime early in July or early in June, I should say. And right now, there isn't anything that's finalized. I think that there's interest to get back to Notre Dame, but it has not been just anything that has been finalized from a trip perspective yet. I would say that from what I'm hearing, Oklahoma has kind of made a little flip back into it a little bit um, from what everything that I'm hearing. The kind of the big hang up with that, um, with that one, Vince, was basically – Micah Tease wants an opportunity to potentially play wide receiver at the next level. He's being recruited by defensive back 
um, by every school, basically, that's on his list. Oklahoma was very firm for a little bit and said, like, no, we're just taking you as a defensive back. We're not recruiting you as an athlete. That's all you are for us. And I think that they're kind of going back on that a little bit because now for a little bit it was like Micah Tease is not going to go to Oklahoma then, right? It, which is he's a Booker T. Washington kid right in Tulsa. So you ca- you really don't want to let a player like that if you're Oklahoma out of your backyard for a team that, you know, is one of the top pro- – the maybe the top program in Oklahoma. So – they kind of rescinded a little bit, I think, on that structure. So I think Oklahoma is going to get back into this a little bit. Notre Dame did a very smart thing when all that stuff happened between Oklahoma and Micah Tease, and they basically said, like, we're recruiting you as an athlete. You, you yeah. can come here. You get an opportunity to play wide receiver. We still like you best at corner, but you can have the opportunity. That's kind of what Mike is looking for. As yeah. far as could he play wide receiver? Yeah, 100%. He can. He can play wide receiver at a very high level. I, I still like him a lot more on the defensive side of the ball, personally. I think his ball skills, quickness, reactionary quickness, uh, just ability to close quickly on underneath routes, good bo- good ball skills, good speed. I think it all kind of really lends well to playing corner, but he, he can definitely play wide receiver at a high level. There's no doubt. The other recruiting question we got here for you is, says, uh, who is the leader for Darion Gallette? Uh, it's a great question. And I honestly don't know the answer to it. I mean, he's a national recruit. I, I will say this. He's been to Tuscaloosa already. I know Notre Dame wants to try to get him on campus sometime over the next couple months. He's a Texas kid, obviously, so all the Texas schools are very high on him. I think Alabama was a little bit of a game changer for him, to be honest. When I talked to the coach last, you know, as soon as he got the offer from 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 Alabama, that was kind of like a a moment where he was like, "Whoa, that's like Nick Saban," you know, (laughs) like that. That's kind of crazy. So. I would say it's probably an Alabama or staying in Texas type of situation right now. I wouldn't say that Notre Dame's really in the battle yet. I think they're trying to get in the battle because he's never been to campus. And every time I talk to the coach, he's very interested in Notre Dame because he's an academically driven kid. And he really does like just kind of the aura around the program. But until he gets on campus, I just don't feel great about that one at this moment. And it could completely change very quickly. But right now I'd say it's a you know a school in Texas, um, whether that is Texas Texas A&M or in Alabama is probably the favorites for Darren Gallette right now. All right. TB12 for Heisman. We're going on the other side of the Notre Dame experience. What player on the current roster will get drafted the highest overall? Wow, that's a great question. I mean, my my immediate thought would be a quarterback, right? But, I mean, that's a little bit of a rejection to see if Buckner can get to that, that spot. I mean, Vince, like, who's the guys that pop out of media? I, I would say, like, Isaiah Foskey, if he takes a big step, right? Blake Fisher, maybe if he makes a gigantic leap and he's got that size profile. I don't know if anybody else. I mean, otherwise, I mean, those are the positions that matter most in the NFL in NFL draft world, right? It's edge rushers, uh, offensive tackles, and quarterbacks. So if it's not Tyler Buckner, I would say it's probably Blake Fisher. Your hatred for Joe Alt never ceases to amaze me (laughs) well that's what people do now right if you don't rank someone number one you're a hater isn't that how it works i mean i've been been trying to get caught up on my twitter uh you know proper twitter etiquette and if you don't say someone's phenomenal then you're a hater so that's what i just did i not do that right did did i not do that right (laughs) well now you um I, you know, if you say anything negative about any quarterback on Twitter, that's what gets them riled up, Ryan. Yeah, like I just said something. Yes. I just said some about Jalen Hurts earlier not being good, and people lost their minds. Just can't believe I mean, it, man. Can't some things it. are obvious, right? I mean, that's that's what's so. That's one of the many reasons I hate Twitter. 
It's like just there's no sense. Like you know, you you just take it. Oh, you're a hater. Like oh, okay, so everyone's awesome, right? I feel like we should be on Twitter just doing the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. You know what I mean? Like you know, whatever, dude. Moral uh, of the story is I'm, Joe Alt's great. Joe Alt's great. Yes, I'm not a hater. You're an idiot. That's basically should be your response, right? Ah. So there you go. All right, there you go. Will June, July, or May be a bigger recruiting month for the Irish? Ooh. I, as far as question. like commitments, I guess you got to kind of set the stage. Like to me, there's no bigger month than June because that's when everybody's going to yeah. be on campus. If you're talking about number of commitments, that's an interesting one. I'd I'd probably say I'd probably say July. I'd say would July be my as well. guess. Yeah, just because we already, we, be... know, we already know a couple are going to be committing in July, right? Like we already know a couple right. commitment dates, like Gallagher and right. Flores and. Yeah, Christian Gray. I would say July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Now, now again, y'all have to remember that that a lot of times commitments don't have don't get announced when they happen, right? So it could be June. We just aren't going to know about it till July, you know? Because I mean, that's what happened with Selvin Absher, right? Like Selvin Absher counts as a May commitment. He doesn't count towards the big April we talked about, but he committed in April. He committed to the staff in April, right? There's a there's others. You know, Devin Houston counts as a May commitment. He committed to the staff in April, right? So just the way it's working nowadays with every kid going on CBS Sports and being interviewed by someone who has no knowledge of their recruitment, uh, which has to be a ton of fun, they're uh, they're, they're, they're doing that instead of committing, like, kind of right. Because it used to be where, like, kids would just commit then, and then, you know, we would do our jobs, find out, break the recruitments, break, break the commitments. Then the advent of social media, eventually kids started kind of breaking their own commitments. They would just do it on Twitter and do it up. Now it's like every every kid's doing it on CBS Sports HQ, which, you know, whatever. Whatever, get, whatever works they, for them. They need to get some better uh, interviewers if that's the, yes. is that the way yes. they're going. Yes, there's a they lot of things that need to do better. They need to hire Irish Breakdown to handle their interviews. Yeah, hard pass. Yeah, that'd go, I'm sure that'd go really well with the people at Irish Illustrated. Yeah, I'm sure that would go really well since they are affiliated with 247 Sports, but whatever. I just uh, – I wish somebody – I just – I want competition, right? Like, that's my big thing is just get some other services to start doing this, right? I mean, that's – because CBS yep. HQ is just is just a hot mess. Just a hot – and then, you, like, why do we need to go to commercials? Like, what what, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? I mean, All I'm right, fine, Vince. I'm fine, with, I'm fine with, like, one commercial break. When they start getting, right. like, the three commercial breaks, then it's – right much a little much exactly exactly When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right. Jordan Schreiber says, when it's all said and done, who do you think has a better haul for the Irish? The D-line, for the Irish D-line, 2023 or 2024? That's actually, my initial reaction was easy, 2023. But then I started thinking about like, you know, well, I mean, but what if they get Nigel Smith and Elijah Rushing and all that? And I I would still say probably 2023 because I think Keon Keeley is still the best prospect they're going to sign in that two-year class. and. I just I really like Jason Moore if they get him. I think it all depends on if they get Jason Moore to me. Like if they get Jason Moore, then it's it's a done deal. It'd be 2023. If they don't get Jason Moore, then somehow you look at like they're able to get Elijah Rushing and Nigel Smith with the two kids they got. Maybe they get a Justin Scott. Now all of a sudden we're having a different conversation. So I think Jason Moore is going to be the key to the 2023 class. If they get Jason Moore. It's going to be really hard for me to see 2024 being better. But you know what I would like to see, Ryan? Them Sorry. try. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I mean, my, my immediate response is the same as you. I think if they don't get Jason Moore in this in this cycle for Notre Dame, then it's a good debate. And I think that it would be a very close one because then you're aligning guys, right? You're saying, hey, if it's a Keon Keeley versus an Elijah Rushing, probably take Keeley, but if rushing takes a huge jump, maybe it's a push. Then you got yeah. the Brendan Vernon versus Nigel Smith conversation, which I think is a great conversation to have. But if you have Jason Moore in the class, just find it hard to believe that it's mm-hmm. better. 2024 is better because that 2023 hall is about as good as it's been ever, you know, like it's an right. insane class. We're, I mean, we've called it a generational class. I mean, that's the thing. It's a, it's a generational class. They just announced that the Notre Dame Ohio State game is going to be maybe this wasn't just announced, but uh, it, it's I see it is it's going to be at seven thirty. It's going to be a night game in Columbus, which 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 helps Ohio State a little bit. I think so. Yeah, yep. yeah, yep. That's where the home field yep. advantage happens, man. At night, yeah, at night, Ohio State doesn't lose a whole lot of night games, but we'll, we'll see how it all we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see how it all plays mm-hmm. out. Let's get to the next one here from Zach Martin. Brian, what was your money play as a quarterback and a coordinator? It just depends on the team. I mean, it you know, your money play is is what you, you know, what you feel you're going to go to. So is it a third and one? Is it a second and ten? Do we feel like we can get an isolation in a certain aspect? You know, it was always different. I, I'd say, you know, probably looking back to to Muhlenberg. You know, we had a couple different things that we really liked. Obviously, inside zone was our bread and butter player play. We had a play action post route that we would throw if we needed a big play, but we ran a counter screen that was really effective. And it and honestly, if if our quarterback didn't throw it two feet in front of our in front of our running back, who I talked about earlier, Matt Bernardo, we score against John Carroll and, and have a shot to beat them in the playoff too. Playoffs too. So. Uh, that was a big play for us at at at, Defi- at uh, Duquesne. It was double post. Oh, well, Duquesne and Christopher Newport. It was double post. That was our our bread and butter play. Was double post. We killed people with that. I mean, we destroyed people with double posts. And CNU, it was effective, but not quite as effective. We we did really well with smash concept at CNU. But again, it just depends on the game, right? So like, you know, when we played Salisbury in the playoffs in 04, you know, we, we had like our money play was like when we needed a big play, we had something we saw. So I told you the other day, I played at Salisbury and the defensive coordinator what at Salisbury was the guy that was there when I was there. And, uh, and so I knew, I knew what he did. I saw him every day in practice. I knew what he liked. And so I knew that when you go twins out of a two back, they're going to go corner over. 
right? So we went two two cor- two receivers to one side with a tight end and then two running backs. They were going to put both corners over. Well, if you motion across, they're going to take the corner with them. So what we did was we put two receivers, but we put our running back at in slot. And we put a receiver in the backfield. They didn't see it. So then we put that. We motioned George Jones out. So then the safety had to run over with George, and we threw a touchdown on him, right? And so that was the money play that game. So, you know, it 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 would change week to week. You know, we knew we could have post dig against Washington Jefferson the next week, and so we ran it on like I think the first series of the game and banged it for like a fifty yard touchdown. It just it just would depend each week what the matchups are, how they do coverage wise. I think when you really get to like money play, it's more run game. Like we're going to run inside zone every week. Like we're going to run inside zone this week. We just got to figure out how we're going to do it, right? But pass game wise, it depends on just what what your personnel is. I mean, there there were routes we would run at Duquesne with Neil Lobig. We could never dream of running at you know Christopher Newport with Harrison Bryant. You know what I mean? You just just that's just the way it was. It just would be so personnel driven. So I never really had like a play that I'm just like we're going to run this no matter what. It just depends on. On, and in some plays, like one of the best, one of my best memories as a coach, and I've shared this, I believe, on the show before, was, you know, we were we were playing, we were playing Robert Morris. Their head coach was Joe Walton. Ryan, if you remember, Joe Walton was a longtime NFL coach of the Steelers and Jets. And our best play was double post. We called it Dolphins. Well, here, you know, it doesn't really, on paper, in theory, it doesn't really work against a cover two defense. So our head coach was very adamant that we're not going to run double post because the safety will stay over top of the post and then the linebackers get up underneath the underneath post and you're just running right into the coverage. Well, he didn't think it was going to work. And so he and I argued about it all week and he just said it just isn't going to work. And and so we get into the game and I kept, you know, I find try to find my spots. Well, we ended up getting to a point where they were coming back. I can't remember what the score was. I think it might have been like 27-20, 26-20, something like that. We had jumped on a big. They were coming back. We needed a big play. So we got the ball at our own 18-yard line. And during that that break, I said to Coach, I was like, you know, Coach, we've got to run Dolphins. And he was like, it's not going to work. Start yelling at me. And I just – I didn't yell back. I just said, run it. You know, run Dolphins. So he basically threatened to fire me and stick a fork in my eye if it didn't work. But he ran it. And it worked. We went for an 82-yard touchdown to Yard and Brantley. Now, the reason it worked is because, in theory, it doesn't work against cover two. But they had a safety that had transferred from Pitt. And he was one of those safeties that was like a peeker, right? Like, he was going to peek in the backfield. And he would always flat foot at the snap in cover two. Well, Ryan, you know if you're playing cover two and I got a 4-4-1 guy on the outside and you peek, I'm I'm beating you. You're not mm-hmm. going to cover that post. And that's what he would do. His name was Rob Butler. So he peeks, Yarden goes over top of him. We bang that because Yarden was the outside guy. So he peeks, and so then when he peeks, he then starts seeing that safety coming right at him, and he's late responding to Yarden, and the corner then is late receiving that, and the corner's in trail. The corner's not meant to cover the post, the outside post. He's he's a flat, curl flat to flat defender. So one, by the time he recognizes that the safety has bit, he tries to recover. Again, you're not recovering against a 4-4-1 receiver. So Yarden catches it, wide open, bam, touchdown. And he just kind of looks up at me and smiles. You know what I mean? But the reality is he trusted me. That's what he called the play. He's not going to call the play there if he didn't trust that play because that was – and because of the fact that it was our bread and butter play. So, again, it just – it depends on the situations and the scenarios and the personnel and all that kind of stuff. So um, that would be my best chance at an answer. Ryan, I don't know if you guys had one. You were more defensive coach, right? But did you guys have like a – 
you know, on a third down stop, was there like a, a bread and butter player? Was it similar? It just depends on the matchup and, and your personnel. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it depended on matchup. I, I, first, I wanted to ask, did you get a raise after that nice call on no. the uh, double post? No. Oh, no. Okay. No, <laughs> Should have. Should have. Yeah. My, uh, the offensive coordinator I played with, he, he didn't, he was a pretty, diverse coach so i don't really think he ever had any real tells honestly which he was kind of a tough guy to game plan against in my opinion honestly but he did have a really nice i mean everyone has it in their playbook but it's it's um we, we had a nice little two-point conversion play or go or a uh, red zone play we used to, he used to call double cannon where it was just basically a heavy package fake handoff semi roll to the right and then you would have the tight end leak back front side all the way back across the field it was just like a tight end leak play that was i mean honestly ryan like i coached for five years with him i think he probably called it 18 times and i think it scored 17 touchdowns like it was nuts man but like, it's a play you, you can't run all the time right i mean exactly. that's the whole point and that's it the, has it has to be right. against it has to be against man coverage it has right. to be or else it's not going to work yep and, and you've got to call it that moment where like I remember talking to Chip Long about this. If y'all remember, Chip Long was part of the offensive staff at Arizona State in 2014 when Notre Dame went down there and played. And if you remember in that game, at the end of the game, Notre Dame had had charged back, and I think they had made it like a, I think it was like 34-31, I think. And on that very next series, uh, Arizona State went to a running back wheel route and just beat Notre Dame, just just threw a, threw, it up, threw a big play. I don't remember if they scored on that particular play, but it was a huge play, and then it led to a score in the game. I mean, they, they, it killed all Notre Dame's momentum, and the game was over. And I remember talking to, to Coach after, you know, after he'd been hired by Notre Dame, and he's like, man, we knew we had that play in our back pocket. We were, we were up 34-3. to three. We didn't need to have – we didn't need to use it. But we knew that if we run this alignment that they were going to ask Sheldon Day, the defensive tackle, to run with this guy. And that we could get him in, a, in an isolation. I think it was Sheldon Day. And so after they had made it 34-31, we're like, hey, we need to we need to do something to stop this momentum. Because if you all remember, like Everett was just dis- – by, by that point in time, Everett was just destroying Arizona State's defense. And all the momentum was with Notre Dame. And they made that move – they made that call, and it took all the momentum back. So, like, there, th- th- that's a big part of this too is it's – it's you're, you're looking at it saying, hey, look, we have this play. You got to make sure you use it at the right time. If they were up 27 to three and they use it to go up 34 to three, was that really the best time to use it? You know, do you really want to use it early in the game when it's nothing, nothing or seven, nothing, but 34, 31. Okay. We need a big play right here. That's you go to it. And, you know, I don't know if that's a play that they would have run against other teams. It's just something they saw against Notre Dame that they thought would work. And that's, mm-hmm. that's one of that's, I'll be honest. That's like, that's the, just the relationships of the players. I miss that, but that's the, the only other thing I miss about coaching is that, right. It's that, it's that gamesmanship that, you know, that, that, that thought I've shared this story before Ryan uh, in the chat, but I don't know if I've, I've said it to you, but like we were playing Iona and third and goal and we need to play. And so, you know, coach goes around, asks all the assistants during the timeout, what should we do? And they're all like, fade to Michael, fade to Michael. And they get to me at the end. He goes, what should you do, Driscoll? And he says, I said, run a draw to Hilliard. He goes, why? I said, because everybody in the stadium thinks we're going to throw a fade to Michael. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's always that kind of stuff. And then, of course, we run the draw and walk in for a touchdown. But, you know, there, there's that's the stuff I miss about coaching. I don't, I don't miss a lot of the stuff. I don't miss recruiting. I don't miss uh, – you know, the politics of it. I don't miss the travel. I don't miss a lot of that stuff, but the, the, the Saturday, the game planning during the week, and then the, the kind of the battle of minds on Saturdays, 
I do miss that. It's it's a, it's a it's a game of chess, man. It really yeah. is. I mean, especially when you're a coordinator, because you have to think so quickly and so strategically, you know, like you have to be a especially defense defense, because I mean, no matter how proactive you try to be as a defensive coordinator, you're still reactionary. Like you're still reacting to what is coming in front of you, right? Like that is that is hundred percent what's happening. So it's tough calling a defense very quickly. It really is. You have to be you have to be ahead of the game a little bit. And then you have to worry about, you know, what personnel is coming in, what what they like to do in, in, in this spot of the field. What are the percentages that they go to this play in this certain time? Like, it's just a lot of thinking in a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. Got a super chat from James Gray. James, thank you very, 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 very much. And then he also has a question. It says, married to a diehard Buckeye and best friends with another. Current coaching staff is them totally frustrated and sweating bullets especially recruiting will be in Columbus, September 3rd, go Irish. Nice. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we had somebody on the message board talking about how he knows somebody that's on the Alabama staff and they said the same thing. Like, and I've said this for years, Ryan, you know, this, if Notre Dame ever hires a coach that cares about recruiting and he hires a staff of equal ability, Notre Dame will be a force in the recruiting trail. They, they just will. And so far they're showing it. And in the era of NIL, could you imagine what this recruiting class would look like if NIL wasn't a thing like it in its current form? It, yep. was, it was being used for its intent to help current players. You know, goodness gracious. Goodness. They'd have a, they'd probably have a five-star receiver already in the class and a five-star quarterback already in the class. Agreed. So it is what it is. But, yes, James, thank you very much. Thank you very, very much for that. I appreciate it. Let's get back up here to some more questions. Benjamin Karchi, is the football field at Notre Dame getting updated? Are we finally going to have Notre Dame in the end zone? I am. This this has like been asked several times. Is asked on the board. I have no idea. I have no idea. I haven't heard anything about. Is, I haven't is asked. That, is that a talking point? I, I don't well, know I mean, it's it's you're getting to that point. Like turf fields usually get replaced every you know eight to ten years, and you're getting up to year nine since it was installed. Right. So, you know, there's a thought. And then when you replace it, do you redesign it? I doubt that they do. I, I would love to see it, but I doubt that they do. I, I would love to see painted end zones and all that. Not painted, but, you know, it's it's you know how they would do it with the turf field. I'd love that. I would love to see, like, here's what I would do. I'd have uh, Notre Dame – I'd have Notre Dame in one side and an Irish in the other is what I would have in the end zones. I'd probably have, like, some shamrocks in there with the Irish side or whatever. And then I'd have the Golden Dome, like, you know, the outline of the Golden Dome that they use for their trademark. Remember when you used to play NCAA and they'd have that little trademark with the Golden Dome? I'd have that Golden Dome at like, you know, where teams will put like the NCAA logo or the ACC, like where teams put their conference logo. I mean, not NCAA, but the conference logo. I'd have the Golden Dome. I'd have the Golden Domes right there. That's what I would do. I think that'd be freaking sweet. But I have no clue if Notre Dame is considering that, and I doubt that they would. I think them adding ND to midfield was like a big thing for people at Notre Dame. So. You know, but they've had it in the end zones before in the past. I just, whatever. It's not something that they're interested in now. Here we go, Ryan, from Domer Grizz. What made Tommy Tremble such a good blocker? And can Michael Mayer become that kind of run blocker to go with his receiving prowess? If so, what a combo that would be. Well, I think what made Tommy so such a good blocker, I mean, is one that he had the willingness, right? Like he was a tenacious kid. Also, what I think really made him set um, – a little step up of a blocker, honestly, Brian, is I think that he could do it for multiple alignments, right? Like it wasn't just like good in line blocker, but you know, that's all, like, that's just the only spot he's good at it. You could line him up at fullback, you line up at H and he just had the willingness to it. I mean, the technique was good, right? Like aiming points are a big thing. 
keeping a good pad level, you know, bringing coming to balance before you block, like all that stuff's really important. But I think more than anything, he had the physicality aspect to him and he had the willingness and he was a guy that was a versatile blocker. You can move him all over the formation as a player. TB12 for Heisman. What is Notre Dame's shot with Richard Young now that he has scheduled an official visit for Notre Dame? I'll leave it at this. I've already reached out to, to Smitty, Brian Smith, that does some stuff for us. Richard Young does not talk to media. He hasn't for two years. I mean, that's just the, that's the point blank period to it. He released a top seven schools pretty recently and Notre Dame was not a part of those top seven schools. So him getting an official visit is shocked me. Honestly, I don't know if it shocked you, Brian, but I was like, Oh, that I mean, I just put a long list of 23 and 24 players that I want you guys to start really focusing on. And he was not on that list. So, right. Right. Yeah. It's it, it. I mean, it, Honestly, like he even follows me on Twitter, but like he's not, he hasn't replied. Obviously every media person right. I've talked to about him, he just, he just not, he's not a media right. guy. And apparently his coach is not very willing to talk to media either. So I, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest with you. I think it's still a long shot. Obviously, I don't know what has kind of happened that has kind of maybe flipped the script or at least made him interested to check out the campus. I mean, it's, it's I know what's happened. Way. <laughs> I know what's happened. Fair. Two words, Fair. Marcus. Freeman. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, I meant it in a, in a very short amount of time, but either way, either way. Yes. It, I mean, the, this is the point blank to this. Do I think they're going to get Richard Young? No, I don't. It's it's going to be a very long, massive long shot. The fact that they got him on campus though, right. is pretty substantial, yes. man. Like that's interesting. Cause we always talk about recruiting a lot is perception, right? You don't right. think that that other recruits right now are being like, "Wow, they got Richard Young to go to campus." Right. That's crazy, right. and he wasn't even in their top his top seven schools. I think that matters, even if they don't end up getting Big Richard time. Young, because right now he's got visits set up to Oklahoma on the third, uh, Georgia on the seventeenth, Ohio State on the twenty fourth. Now he's coming to Notre Dame the thirteenth, so I imagine like he'll probably maybe be somewhere else that weekend. But he's got four of his five, so that means between Texas A and M between Alabama, between Oregon and Florida, somebody's getting left out. That, those are his other finalists in this top seven. So, look, I, I agree with Ryan. I, I don't I don't think Notre Dame has much of a shot. But at this point in time, with Mark, the combination of Marcus Freeman and Chad Bowden and Dylan McCullough and Tommy Reese, if you can – I've always felt this, even with the previous staff. If you can get a kid on campus, you got a shot. So the fact that he's using one of his five officials, because what he said in the tweet, I mean, I just went back and looked at it again just to make sure I read it correctly. He said Notre Dame OV. So it's yeah. an official. It is. And so he's using one of his five on Notre Dame. I would say Notre going into those five visits, Notre Dame's fifth. Right. But that's better than where they were on, what was it, April 10th when he released his top seven, where they weren't a part of. And it's you, you got to respect the relentlessness of this staff, Ryan, that they just don't give up. I mean, it's a five-star running back that didn't include you in your top seven and doesn't talk much, and they're just still on him, still on him, still on him, still on him. And I was going to visit. So I don't think they're going to have much of a shot, but the reality is is they've given themselves – they're in the game. Right. And that's with this staff and with what the Notre Dame campus has to offer, you know, because, like, look, maybe he's looking for an NIL deal. But kids who have zero presence really on social media and don't like talking to media are kids that aren't thinking a lot about my brand, right? And so he's a kid that clearly likes something about Notre Dame, 
and so he's going to visit. So I, am I going to be optimistic? Or are we going to write a million if Notre Dame gets Richard Young stories? No. <laughs> Unless somebody tells us, hey, we got a shot with this kid. But uh, I just think it's an, it's impressive that they're getting this kid on campus. And, it, again, it look, this staff is going to get involved with kids they usually wouldn't have a shot at. And some they're going to get, a lot they're not going to get. As I've yeah. always said, it's like two to three kids a year is the difference. And this kid could be one of them, right? And, you know, it's it's impressive to get on campus. But I, I think your point, Ryan, is the the perception of this, at the very least, is going to have an impact on Absolutely. other prospects. And I'll say this: Somebody already asked this in the in the in the message board. You know, it, well, you're in a good spot. Obviously, you have Cedric Irvin Jr. Jaden Lamar seems like he's you know favoring Notre Dame, leading up to his decision day. If you already have those two in the class, would they still take Richard Young? Would it be a take? And my answer is, yeah, yeah, he would hundred percent. He's I love because yes. I've been, I've been down on this running back class, right? Like we talked about some of the running backs, I think are a little overrated in this class. Richard Young's not one of them. There's man. two that, that, that we always talk about. Like there's yeah. two. Like Ryan and I have had this conversation. Like, yes, it's not a great running back class. We'll compare it to 2024, and it's already to me, it's already a better class. But at the beginning of that conversation, there's always two exceptions to our conversation. With the exception of, and it's Richard Young and Cedric Baxter. Those are the two that are the exceptions. Those are dudes. They're dudes in any class. But after that is where there's a drop-off, in my right. opinion. Like, Justice Haynes, he's a good running back. Mm-hmm. I saw, like, I think I think it's on three has him as, like, a top 25 player. He's not that. Right? He's, he's not that. He's a top 100 guy. You know, at bottom of the top 100 guy. Very good back. I'd have taken him in Notre Dame. But this is a kid that to me is a top thirty back, top top thirty player in a year. Cedric Baxter, I feel the same way about. I don't know if you, you know what it, I, I I think you agree with that because I always throw that preface out and you've never argued with me about it. But those are the two kids I look at and say those are dudes. After that, good players, but no great players. Yep. And Richard, uh, Richard, so yeah, Richard, you, you take Richard it. Young's a dude, man. Richard yeah. Young is a dude, and and yes, if you have two other running backs in the class, you still take Richard Young. That's why they're recruiting Richard Young. Like they're right. just going to keep recruiting him. He's a, he's one of those right. guys that even if you're full at a position and he's still going to talk to you, you're going to keep talking to him. It's just the right. point blank to it. No question. Jordan Triber says, "How do you think the Notre Dame offense would have performed under Chip Long if Brian Kelly had been completely hands off?" About the same. Because part of the reason Brian Kelly didn't like Chip Long is Chip Long didn't listen to Brian Kelly. <laughs> just <a> fact. <laughs> That's why he didn't like him. Because uh, Chip would just – he would listen to him to a degree and he'd let Brian Kelly say what he wanted to say. But when he got into games, if he wanted to call something, he's going to call something. So, I mean, it, it maybe been a little bit better because Brian Kelly being hands-off would have meant Chip Long would have been allowed to hire the offensive co- line coach he wanted to b- hire after Harry left. And so I think the offense would have been better in that regards. He would have hired uh, as a Joe Gilbert, right? Who's now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, won a Super Bowl as the offensive line coach to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's who Chip Long wanted to hire. And if he wasn't going to hire him, he wanted to hire Bob Bostad, who is now the offensive line coach of Wisconsin, who was the original O-line coach that really built Wisconsin up before he went to the NFL to coach O-line, came back to Wisconsin. There he had an O-line coach. He coached linebackers. I'll tell you the kind of coach he is. He, he's been the guy coaching all these stud linebackers they've had the last recent years. He went from building Ohio, Wisconsin to having – you know, being in the O-line new conversation to now every year they're producing some linebacker no one's ever heard of until Bostad coaches them up and they become dudes. Uh, like your boy, one of Ryan's favorite draft prospects this year is Leo Chanel. Understandably so. Well, I mean, he's very well coached. Not mm-hmm. not only is he talented, but he's very well coached. And so those are the two that Chip wanted. And if Brian Kelly would have been hands off, 
he would have let Chip hire that guy and the staff would have been better. And the team of the offense would have been better. That would have where, where the impact would have been. But um, the, the O-line situation and the fact that Chip often ignored Brian Kelly were the reasons Brian Kelly had to get rid of Chip Long, despite the fact they had their highest scoring output since Brady Quinn was a quarterback his last season. So clearly it was a Chip Long problem, right? All right. Let's see I always, here. I always, I always like Chip Long, by the way. I did. I, too. I, I did. I still did do. Long. Yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.